We are so glad you've joined us today. If God is doing something in your life through this ministry, we want to hear about it. Send us an email at live at trinitynwa.com to tell us your story. You can also go online to give to this ministry by going to trinitynwa.com and clicking the red Give Online button. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. If you want to experience more content, visit our website or subscribe to our YouTube channel. This message is called Respect the Grace. Hebrews 12 verse 28 says, Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For also our God is a consuming fire. Now, if you go back in that chapter, back to verse 18, from 18 all the way through the end of the chapter, Paul is writing about a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And he tells us that whatever can be shaken and destroyed, because that's what that means, it says what can be shaken. That actually means crumbled or destroyed. Or, that whatever can be shaken is going to be. And even everything that God has created here, he's going to destroy it because it's his will. But there is a kingdom that God has created that he has built to withstand that end time shaking. And I want you to listen in a minute when I describe that kingdom. But you need to understand before I get to those descriptive verses. That the reason God will destroy everything because there, there's only one kingdom that's going to stand. And every other kingdom that he has built is going to be shaken and it's going to be destroyed. And the reason that that's going to happen is because the only thing on this planet that God really cares about is what? Us. The universe, even as it continues to expand, has only been created for the propagation of a message about Jesus Christ. Because God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son that we would be saved. So the reason God created the heavens, the earth, everything that is in them and everywhere and the way they function is simply so this earth could could contain and keep alive its inhabitants long enough for God to get a word into them so they could make a choice about what they were going to do with him in eternity. That's why the rest of this doesn't mean anything to him. That's why the scripture says it's all going to burn with a fervent heat. That's why the Bible talks about someday there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And that when that, that shaking time comes, when that, when that time comes that he shakes everything that can be shaken, it's all going to be destroyed. But you and I are going to be at that point in the kingdom that can't be shaken. And we'll be in a place called the marriage supper of the lamb, which I'm really fired up about for several reasons. Um, fat free, calorie free zone. Uh, beginning of eternity, we get to eat whatever we want. And I also like the idea of eating while other people are working. And let me explain what that means. While we're there eating, the scripture says that God is creating a new heavens and a new earth, and then we're going to come back and we're going to rule and reign with Christ on the new earth. But while that's being created, i got to be somewhere, I figuring that we're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So I'm kind of excited about the fact that we'll be eating and having this big time and the Lord will be preparing. And then when he's, when it's over, then here we'll go. So God has this, this major plan and it all 
revolves around eternity being spent with his son and the Holy Spirit and the angels and all of us. And everything is created so that that can happen. So that's why that God is not concerned about it all being destroyed. He created it only for that reason. So once that has been determined, he's going to shake everything, crumble, destroy it. It's all going to be gone. And the only thing that will exist will be his kingdom and then the new heavens and the new earth. Have I got you so Are you with me so far? There is basic theology right there. That eschatology just in a really, just in a really small, compressed P that my brain is able to understand. And I hopefully, hopefully I explain that to you so that you can understand it. But there's, there, in the midst of all that, there is going to be a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And I want to describe that kingdom because this is where we're going. Starting back in 22, he says, but you, believers, have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. We know who that is, where that is. The heavenly Jerusalem, we know where that is. To an innumerable company of angels. I like that. To the general assembly, which this I think would be a cool title for a church, except it'd be way too long for the sign. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn. Wouldn't that be a good church title? Who are written in heaven. So who's going to be at this place? It's the city of the living God. All the angels are there. The general assembly, which is the believers. The firstborn who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And to God, the judge of all. Going to be there. And to the spirits of just men has been made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And to blood and to blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised saying, yet once more I will... Not only shake the earth, but also the heavens. And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken as of things have been made so that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Now, he said, what? No, what, what was all that? Well, here's what's being said. Basically, everything's going to be shaken, but something's going to remain. Everything's going to be shaken, something's going to remain. What's going to remain is that eternal kingdom, the kingdom of God. It's it, it, it's not going to be shaken. It's, and here's what I want you to understand about the kingdom of God. It is real. It's everlasting. There's there is no debate. There's no question about it. It exists. And you don't want to miss it. If you don't make it to that kingdom, then whatever kingdom you are in going up to that point is going to be shaken and it's not going to make it. Are you with me so far? So I'm painting a picture here. I'm laying something out here for you. Now, if it's guaranteed that that kingdom exists, shouldn't I make every determination to get there regardless of the cost or the sacrifice or the struggle that I might have to go through to get there? If such a place exists, is there any temporal thing worth choosing over that? Let me just ask you that question. Is there anything that is a part of that that can be shaken worth hanging on to that would cause you to miss the kingdom that's going to withstand? No. There's not, is there? There's no, when you put it that way, you're like, man, there's no, anything that I would try to hold on, anything that I would try to do, anything that's important to me that would keep me from missing that is just not worth it. It's just not worth it. And so every one of us are having to determine our destiny and our future because I can't do that for you. So what I'm going to do before I get into the points is I'm going to I'm going to lay out for you, according to these verses, three indisputable facts. Doesn't matter how smart you are. 
doesn't matter how unfair you think things might be. None of that matters when we boil it all down and we take out everybody's feelings and we get down to just raw truth. Here is raw truth regardless of how it affects anybody. And these facts right here are indisputable according to the word of God. Number one is this. According to this passage, our God is the author and thus the finisher of everything that he has created. Is that, is, isn't that a fact? According to those, isn't that what it said? It says in 29 that he's a consuming fire. What that means is that he has reserved the right to utterly destroy anything that is his. What is his? Everything. Right? So we're a step, we're walking down a line here. I want you to walk with me. Number one, our God is the author. And if he was the creator, he's the only one capable of being the finisher of all that has been created. And it is all his. Number two, our God is going to shake everything and everything except his eternal kingdom is going to fall and be destroyed when he shakes it. Look at verse 26. Now he's promised saying, yet once more, I will not only shake the earth, but also the heavens. It's going to happen. Don't matter if it's fair. Don't matter if you believe it. You don't have to believe it. None of, none of that matters. It's the truth. And the third truth is this. Our God must be taken seriously. Hebrews twelve twenty five. See that you do not refuse him that speaks. For if they did not escape, those who refused him that spoke on earth, much more we shall not escape if we, if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Here's how I would say this to you. Don't ignore your knower. There is a knower in the inside of every person, a knowing. The Holy Spirit speaks to believers in lots of ways. The Holy Spirit does not just speak to you at times like these in sessions like these. He doesn't just speak to you in times of prayer or when you're in the word. But the Holy Spirit, what if once the Holy Spirit how does the Holy Spirit get in you? When you become a, a believer, you invite Jesus to come in your heart, right? The Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. And from that moment on, he starts living in you and he starts talking to you about what he doesn't like living in there with. So from the minute that you become a believer, the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you to all kinds of ways at different times. And let's put it this way. You have, when, when you go to the movies with a friend... And if something strikes them that they want to say, they'll reach over and nudge you even in the middle of a movie and tell you. Am I right? Why would the Holy Spirit be any different as your friend? You could be in a movie and he could nudge you and say, hey, I want to tell you something. You could be driving your car. And he could start talking to you. Just the same way that you talk to him, he could talk to you. You don't have to be taking notes from a message somewhere for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. He can speak to you at any time and in any way. And so what I'm saying to you is you get to know that voice. When you're walking with the Lord and he's speaking to you, never, never, never ignore what he's saying. Don't ignore your knower. Your knower is that Holy Spirit. It's way, it's way beyond conscience. Once, you're, once you've got the Holy Spirit living in you, all of a sudden it's not just conscience that tells you right from wrong. Holy Spirit goes way deeper than conscience. Holy Spirit talks about things that conscience doesn't think about. Holy Spirit goes into all kinds of areas of life. So that becomes your, the Holy Spirit becomes that knower. And I'm saying to you that, that whatever you do, according to the verse I just read to you, never ignore your knower. 
because the Holy Spirit is trying to get you to a place. And you're going to see as we walk down through this, these are very sobering facts. In light of them, what's the word today? And I'm going to tell you, it's the advice that we're given in Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So here's what we've established because we're, we're a lawyer today in a courtroom. Let's establish some facts. Here's what we've established. The kingdom of God is sure. Nothing else is, but the kingdom of God is sure. Are we good? Can we all agree there? Can we go from there? The kingdom of God is sure. And so he tells us that in 28. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that kingdom of God is sure, what should we do? And he goes on, he says, let us have grace. Since we are, since we are involved in a kingdom that can't be shaken, let us have grace. So we got to stop right here for a minute. Because you think you know what that means. You say, okay, let us have grace. I like grace. Grace is good. You need to understand what this, what this is specifically saying in this context. What the word, the phrase there, let us have grace, what it actually means is hold fast to grace. It's not just saying, let us have grace. Let's have some kind of a haphazard grace. It's saying, since you are a part of a kingdom that can't be shaken and you want to make sure you to stay a part of that kingdom, hold fast to grace. The word there means cling, clench. I want to make sure, pastor, that I'm a part of this kingdom can't be shaken. How can I make sure? You can do that by clinging to grace. Well, grace will cling to me. Let me tell you something. There's something that's going on in, in, in my generation. You know, I'm saying my generation and younger. That is frightening. And what happened, I'm, I'm, I might be wrong. You could tell me, you know, somebody that's older than me may come to me afterward and say, no, it happened earlier. But I think around the 70s sometime. Around the 70s and 80s, preachers became so, it, it was out of a good motive, but they so wanted everyone to be saved that they started trying to make it easy to be that way. They, and I'm not talking about anybody specifically. I'm not talking about churches. I'm, I'm saying that, that there, there was a time where, the, where the, you would hear, you didn't ever hear that you were supposed to count the cost to be saved. It was just, Jesus loves everybody and he wants to save you all. If you'll come down and pray a prayer, then you're good. And that was it, right? And along with that theology came also something that happened um, in that generation where that, and just stay with me a minute, don't, don't get upset, just stay with me, came that thought of parents saying, we want our children uh, all to feel like they're as important as everybody else, which is true. So we went through that whole time period of where, you know, let's let the kids be right. If they think two and three is four, let them. Which doesn't really work when you're competing with Japan and China. But, but let's give them a trophy for thinking that two and two is five. And so what we did is we created a mindset among that gener a generation that said that my opinion counts even if I'm ten and don't know anything. I think I do and my parents say I do. So therefore a kid could go to school and tell a teacher that to tell a teacher you're dumb. I'm smarter than you. And a teacher had to smile and write, a, write something, but they couldn't take out a paddle and beat them like they did when I was a kid. Which is harmful to this generation. So what you have now, you say, I don't agree with that. Well, you don't have to agree with that. Stay with me for a minute. So what happens then is now you have a generation of people who've grown up thinking that their words should be as equal with anybody's. And so you have a generation of people now who don't respect authority. 
not the way they should. They, they'll respect authority that they respect. But they don't have to respect authority. As parents, we've been bad about it too. That person is voted into political office. We don't agree with them. We're just going to talk bad about them. We're not going to pray for them. We're talk bad about them. We're going to curl up in a fetal position and cry about it. We're, we're, we're going to check out for five or six, you know, like, stay with me. We've created a generation of people now who, with spiritual authority, don't even recognize that. The, whether you agree with what I say or not isn't, isn't the point here. But when I was a little kid, if I would have walked past a preacher and said, your message today was terrible, I, my parents would have taken me home and I wouldn't have been able to walk for three weeks. Whether the man was right or wrong, I'm not, I'm not defending myself at all. I'm, I'm defending a, just a thought. Whether the man was right or wrong, my parents would have said, he may not have been correct in something that he said, but you're going to respect that man anyway because he is an authority. We don't, we've lost some of that in this generation in saying, parents going up to school with their kids. A kid, the kid comes home and says, I got in trouble. And instead of the parents saying, well, you need a whipping, they load the kid up and go up to school and ream out a teacher. Now you understand what I'm talking about. Where a teacher has lost the ability to control a class and parents are, are putting into the minds of the kids, hey, you're just as smart as she, she is, you're as smart as he is, tell them what you want, and if they don't like it, I'll go down and tell them what I think. Well, we've lost this ability to understand. Now, it's all tying together. This, when you take this mentality of, I don't have to respect authority anymore, along with a theology that has said, you can be saved, all you got to do is pray a prayer and then live how you want, you end up with a generation of people who think they're saved and they're not. Have I got your attention? Now I'm going to show you why. This passage will explain to you what's going on. When it says that we have to hold fast to grace, we were taught that if we would just pray as a little simple prayer, we could live like the devil and grace would chase us around. And because of how we were being taught at home and school, it was, and it should. So therefore, the way we praise even, pray even changed. The way we look at God even changed. The way we look at everything changed. We went from a generation a long time ago, which I think was kind of on the other end of it, to, oh God, I thought a bad word, I'm going to hell, to a generation that said, I'm going to reel off a whole, a whole line of cuss words, and, and I'm going to flip off the Pope while I'm at it, and when I get done, grace is going to cover me. We went from here to here, and now this verse right here jerks us Back to balance. I'm going to show you how. People that... Well, let me, let me, let me go this way. Look at, the, look at what it says. Let us have grace. Okay, what are we doing? We are, that's not just grace is chasing us. That is, let us cling. Let us cling to grace, right? Let us cling to grace by which we may... These are the words that a lot of people don't like. Serve God. Let us cling to grace, because by clinging to grace, this is the only way we're going to be able to serve God. And in a minute, we're going to find out how we're going to do that. But this is the only way we're going to be able to serve God. And some people have a problem with that. They're like, well, wait a minute. God is here to serve me. 
That's where we got all messed up. We were never created for God to serve us. We were created for the express purpose of serving God. But a, a generation, a mentality that's been sown into our minds has caused us to believe that somehow that we should just be able to tell God, get it done. So people who give God tasks to do when he doesn't do them are disappointed. That's why people are disappointed whenever they present their wish list to, to God like a genie or Santa Claus. And when he doesn't get their task fulfilled in the timely order that they want, they have the audacity to get mad at him. Because they think that he's serving them. This is good stuff. I know it's not, not real Pentecostal, not a, shout, not a lot of shouting going on. But, but we're going someplace. You'll always be disappointed if you try to give God tasks to do because they won't get done because you were created to serve him. And here's how that works. You say, well, doesn't God want to do good things for me? Yes, but here's how it works. When you serve God, then it brings him joy to meet your needs. He doesn't meet your needs because he's obligated to because you're somehow on his level. He meets your needs because you're his child and you serve him and he loves you and he walks with you and you walk with him and he knows your heart. And then it brings him joy to meet your needs. Isn't that something? Now, some people upon that realization, they become angry and rebellious and they say, well, I'm not going to serve anybody. And I would say to you, well, the kingdom of God goes on anyway. Right? Because if you decide not to serve God because you can't be in charge, the only one that's going to suffer in that decision is you. Our God is the God of all worlds, and he has given us the opportunity to be saved and to live for, uh, forever under his terms. You know what his terms are? It's called a covenant. But here's what we need to understand. At no point did man ever establish and write a covenant and present it to God. How did it work? God established a covenant, wrote it, and gave it to man. We agree to the terms, not vice versa. And in our mentality, we've got that in our mind. Well, God, if you will. But that's not how the promises of God ever worked. All the way in the Old Testament, it was always God saying, If my people will humble themselves and turn from their evil ways, and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven, and I will heal their... See that? There's a covenant. The if and then is always God saying, you're my people, you've made that choice. Then you walk like I tell you to walk, and I will. So, this grace, I'm thankful for this safety net, I fall into it all the time. It does exist, and I'm very, very grateful for it. But it's not something to be taken for granted. It's something to be clenched. And when this grace that we're clinging to and counting on and, and praising God for and not taking advantage of. It then becomes the vehicle. To take us to that kingdom that can't be shaken. So I want you to see grace instead of it being this fuzzy cloud that follows you around, keeping you from falling down. Instead, I want you to see grace as a vehicle that you're riding on.
that you got a spot, you got a seat on grace. By accepting the terms of the covenant, by becoming a part of a kingdom that can't be shaken, that got you a seat on the vehicle of grace. And the scripture says that by that grace, you can now serve God. So now you're in a position in grace to be able to serve God. But there's three ways, and these are going to surprise you. There's three ways, and it's spelled out right there in that verse. It's right there in the text. Grace is the vehicle by which we serve God, number one, acceptably. It means agreeably. I'm not trying to bore you. Are you bored yet? Shake somebody, wake them up. You need to hear this. Acceptably means agreeably. Now, that means in ways that please him. So here's how that works. The question is this. Are you serving God in ways that please him? Or are you trying to use grace to serve yourself in ways that please you? Because that's what a lot of us have tried to do. And we didn't understand why it wasn't working for us. Grace only works when it's applied the way Jesus' blood provided it. You can't miss, you can't start trying to just twist grace around and make it fix things. If you're in the vehicle, a part of the kingdom can't be shaken, clenching to grace, hanging on in the vehicle, and you are coming to serve God and you're doing it agreeably, which means you're living your life to please him, not yourself. Then you're going to be a part of that kingdom. And you'll stay a part of that kingdom. The second way that that'll happen is reverently. It means with great respect. You say, okay, I get this one. No, you don't get this to the point that, we, that I, I didn't know it. I did not know it until I studied this. You know what that word reverently means there? It's the picture of a person of two people who are interacting. Are you with me? Two people are interacting. And, and one of them is so modest and bashful, they can't even look into the eyes of the other one. That's the way we're supposed to revere God. Me being the one who is so bashful and modest that I dare not. Now, when we hear this, it causes us to think about how we pray. You say, well, I don't agree with you, Pastor, because I treat God like my daddy. Well, I'm going to tell you something. If you treat your daddy with respect and honor and love and reverence, that's good. But if you treat your daddy with disrespect, you want you don't want to bring that same disrespect to God because think about how your prayers sound. Are they demanding? Are you one of those people that say, God, your word said and you better do it. And I see this picture in my mind when I read and study this passage of scripture. All of a sudden I see something. I see something in, in, the, in my imagination happening in the heavenlies. Where you have all these angels that are just flying around God. And they don't have a choice. It's what they're created to do. Can you imagine one of them saying, I'm tired. I'm taking a 15 minute break. And God says, no, you're not. Fly and sing. Fly and sing. That's what you do. Right? And then up into heaven wafts the prayers of some child of God who prays like a spoiled brat. It wafts up into the kingdom of heaven where God in his reverence sits with myriads of angels. Flying and screaming and crying, holy, holy, holy. And here comes my prayer. Hey, God, 
I'm not happy with you. And all of a sudden the angels are flying over here. Because they don't want the lightning. Huh? God, I'm not happy with you. God, you better, you better get this done for me. Your word said, and you better get it done. And, the, and Jesus is scooting the throne away. He's saying, Father, hang on, hang on there. They're just upset. Hang on. Because that's what he does. He's an intercessor. Hang on. It, it, it just, they're upset. They get their feelings hurt. Something happened. They, they, they had a bad week. Don't kill them. Just wait a minute. It would change the way we pray, wouldn't it? We might want to rethink our format because you got to understand something. This is what this is saying. Grace takes you, that vehicle of grace takes you into his throne room. And in his throne room, he is revered by all of creation. Rocks are praising him. Do you think you want to be the one to rise up and start trying to throw him around? And the third word that says vehicle, that, that will ride the vehicle of grace, will be cautiously. You say, well, I don't see that in my Bible. It says with godly fear. And that's, I chose the word cautiously because that's how it translates. It's what it means is cautiously. It means in awe. That, that, that's the correct approach is in awe. You know, nothing is as awesome as we use the term to describe. Think about it. People call me and they say, I do, I'm bad. I'm just bad as anybody else. They'll say, I'll meet you at Slim's at 11. I'm like, awesome. Is that really awesome? Is it really awesome? No, it's not. I mean, it's just become a haphazard word. But what is awesome? You go to the zoo. You take your small children to the zoo. You walk up to the tiger cage and the tiger is pacing close to the rail and your child wants to jump up on the rail and lean over. And what do you do? Hey, 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 hey. why? Because that tiger is awesome. Right? That tornado that, you know, when the tornado, you think it's coming and you grab the mattress and climb in the bathtub, and get all the kids, get up under there with a... The reason you don't stand out in the yard going, wow, that's really cool, is because the tornado is awesome. You know who created those things? Who made those things? God. He is awesome. God is awesome. And nothing else is. There's so many things that cause us in our smallness to be amazed and fearful. But when we approach the God who created it all, we somehow seem to think that it's okay to treat him with nonchalance. I'm about to conclude this, but I want, I want you to see a picture with me. What if we had the opportunity to stand right on the precipice of a live volcano. What if we could stand on the edge and look down and see the lava glaring and boiling and smoke coming up? First of all, if you were given that opportunity, how many of you would say no thanks? But some of the daring ones among us might go if they said the helicopter is going to be right here. 
It's not erupted yet. It's going to at any time, but we, th- but we think we're okay for a little while. We want to give you a chance to look into this volcano, and then we're going to fly you on out of here. So some of us, if you can be so brave for just a moment, for just a moment, let's all act like we're that brave and walk with me to the edge of that volcano. Some of you were with us years ago when we were in Ecuador and we actually took a boat ride. How smart are we? They, they have a, a, a live volcano there that's, a, that's full of water. It's a lake. So much sulfur in it that nothing is alive in this lake. And bubbles come up from the volcano all the time. And we got in a boat and went out to see the bubbles. I didn't say I was smart. So we know as we stand here that when this erupts, every person, everything is going to be dead in just a matter of a few minutes. We're standing here and we're looking into this volcano that can erupt at any time. I want you to sense how you feel as the guide says, we'll have to hurry But it's okay. We think we're safe. Let's all approach right now and take a look. And here we go. Did you feel that in your heart? Are you standing there yet? And what are you thinking? I don't like the way this feels. It's hot. It's scary. Let's get in a helicopter. Let's go. And yet we approach our father who created all the volcanoes in the world with Whatever. He's the one who created it all. It's crazy how we've allowed ourselves to think that we're on his level. Because passages in his word that says, how, you know, talks about how much he loves us. We've equated that to, cool, I'm on his level. And you say, well, we are. It says in the Bible that we're going to rule and reign with Christ. Let me tell you something. We're going to rule and reign with Christ But we're not going to rule and reign Christ. He's still going to be in charge. We're working for him. (laughs) Right? So. It's crazy how that some people think that they can tell him what to do or. Or that house, how we believe that we're somehow instrumental to him and being able to get his will done. We've got it in our mind that he needs us because we've been taught over the years that, yes, God does want to use us. He will use. He wants to use every one of us. We're created with a purpose. The reason you're here is because God wants to use you for his purpose, for his kingdom. But I'm going to tell you something. If you get mad and rebellious, decide not to do what he calls you here to do, guess what he'll do? He'll move on without you. And he'll get somebody else. And he will get his will done because he's God. He's going to win. He's always going to win. He's always going to do what he wants to do. Folks, here's what we have to realize. We are alive. We're saved. We're healed. We're delivered. We're called. We're equipped. We're used. We're kept by God out of his grace and mercy, not out of any merit of our own. And we have to respect the grace. Understand. Our planet is just one in a series of universes, which they say continues to expand. Our planet is just a speck in the midst of that. And we, as people, all seven billion of us on that little speck, no matter how big and strong and smart you think you might be, 
you are one little less than a speck on a speck of universes that the Bible says are held in the palm of the hand of God. That'll change the way you pray. That's why we have to respect the grace. Pastor, I'll never lose my seat on the vehicle of grace. I'm not going to debate that with you right now, but I'm going to tell you. I'm clinging to my seat. Because that's what the word told me to do. I'm clenching my seat on the vehicle. Because when this all goes down, I want to be in the kingdom that can't be shaken. I ain't taking no chances. I'm not going to get lazy. I got my seatbelt on and I'm hanging on to the bar. There's no way I'm going to let this get away from me. I'm hanging on to this. And when I get, when I start talking to God, I'm coming to God the best way I know how. I'm cautious. I'm reverent. I'm respectful. Man, I'm coming in there because I'm entering in the throne room. I'm entering to a place that few people ever get to go. I'm going to be real careful about how I deal with my relationship with the Father and the Creator of all. Can we look back to the text as our conclusion? You might think about it differently now. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken when every other one will be, let us have grace, let us cling, let us hold on tightly to grace because it is the vehicle that will allow us to serve God acceptably, reverently, and cautiously because our God is a consuming fire. Let me take you back. To where we stood a minute ago. Our God. Is a consuming fire. Let us. Respect. The grace. And not take it for granted. Pretty sobering isn't it. Now here's what you need to understand. Holy Spirit speak this to my heart. He spoke this to my heart. He does not want you to think. That you should. Live in terror of him. That's the last thing he wants. He does not want you to be afraid of him because then you would shirk his presence. And it's in his presence where things, the fullness of joy comes, where healing and so many cool things happen in his presence. And yet some people are so afraid of his presence. When he starts moving, they run, right? Some people, when God actually moves, they get they start getting out because they're, they're so scared of his presence. God does not want you to ever shy away from his presence, but he's trying to draw you into his presence. In his presence is where all of the, what happens in the fire? All of the chaff is burned away, isn't it? Everything's pure. Everything's pure in the fire. Closer you get to the fire, the purer everything. So God doesn't want you to run from it. He wants you to stay close to that passion, to that heart, to that fire. He doesn't want you to shy from him. He wants to treat you like a son or a daughter. He loves your time together. Something else you need to understand is God does not expect you to be a theologian to have a talk with him. Even though we realize and we're understanding our insignificance, God just thinks we're cute. The smartest people in the world who are too smart for him, he chuckles at Jesus. They think they're so smart. 
They don't even have a clue. The sad thing is, they're so smart. They're allowing their soul to be damned. God just wants you to remember who he is. He wants a relationship with you. And I'm going to tell you why that's important. Can I tell you can I tell you why it's important that God is not just one of your buddies? Cuz that's what some people try to relegate him to. I can talk to him however I want. He's just my friend. I can talk I can do whatever I want. I can do you. Can I tell you why he's why we're thankful that God is not your buddy down the street? Because your buddy down the street can't save your soul from hell. Your buddy down the street, no matter how much he loves you, cannot heal you from your diseases. Nor can he answer your prayers. That's why you don't want God to be your buddy down the street. You want and need God to be who God is. And you need to treat him with the respect that he deserves and commands. He loves us more than life as we understand it. But he says, I love you, but respect the grace. Man, that verse, those two verses. Wow. They just went to a whole new level for me. I don't know if that happened for you or not, but that just took me to a whole new level. So the reason why I think this is an important word is because I, I, I believe that there are some people who, who, who were taught that grace was so flippant that they may have prayed a prayer some point in their life and never changed and they think they're saved they may have gone to a revival or something somewhere and prayed a prayer and because somebody told them this is all you got to do all you got to do is pray this prayer and then you're saved and go and live and do whatever you want to do as long as you... and they've been and they prayed a prayer and they walked away and they think they're saved how dangerous is that you know why Jesus said count the cost. If he said if a builder is going to build a building, let him first count the cost. You know why he said that? I think he was in reference to salvation. If you're going to follow me, he says, if you're going to follow me, there's only one way you're going to be able to do it. You're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and stick with me. That don't mean that you could pray a prayer and then run off and live and then holler for grace to fix it. That means you're going to saddle up in here with me in the kingdom. You're going to get a seat on the vehicle of grace. And grace is going to keep you. Grace is going to keep you all the way in. But you better stay on the vehicle. You better stay strapped in the seat. Here's why this message is important. Some people think they've saved never been. They're not saved. They, they, they don't even know it till just now. There's other people that have been walking with the Lord a long time but after today they're having to consider the way they've been praying their prayers they're like oh my goodness I'm so fortunate that God has not struck me dead the way I holler and yell and try to make him do stuff and get mad at him when, doesn't, when he doesn't do what I tell him to do hey maybe that's what today is for some people is to rethink the way we pray the way we try to treat God during this last song the altars are going to be open and you can stand or sit or kneel or walk around or come to whatever you want to do. But I would say to you, those of you that now in light of the word would say, I've counted the cost and I really do want to follow Christ. And I know what that means now. I've never done that. I want to do that. 
then come and pray and do it. Now, if you're not ready to do that, then don't pray the prayer. I'm not going to be the guy that tells everybody, come on, let's all just, everybody just pray this prayer. If you'll pray this prayer, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm going to be that guy that says, don't come to follow Christ until you're ready to repent and change and follow Christ. Then pray that prayer. And once you pray that prayer, you in. Once you pray that prayer, you're in. Stick with the grace. So whatever that need might be for you, whether it's I need to ask Jesus to come to my heart or else I need to rededicate my life to Christ or I need to repent of the way I've been talking to the Lord. Or how about this one? To To that person that realized during all of this, wow, my God is so powerful and He loves me so much. I can be healed. He ain't like my buddy down there. I could be delivered. I could be set free. Then you come down and say, God, I'm falling on your grace. I'm falling on your grace. Heal me. Set me free. Set me free. Change me. Whatever it is you have need of, the good news is, our God is great enough to do it all. And the scripture said even more abundantly than you could ever ask or imagine. Can you, can, did you hear that? He's capable of doing more than you could ever imagine or ask. So you're not going to stump him tonight or today by asking him to do something too large. It's all about the way you ask. That's what today is about. You don't run down and say, heal me and I mean now. You come down and you say, God, I'm falling on your grace and I'm really tired of being sick. Please have mercy on me. Whatever it is that you need today, come to the altar and pray let's 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 spend a little time thinking and praying about respecting the grace